0: The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeatsBeets.com and save 15% with promo code DEAL.
1: From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Friday, May 28th. Hello, Bishop. Hello, Ted. Hello. How are you guys?
2: Just great. Good.
1: So, here is what I know about this story, which is that you guys, you two audio producers for The Post, you have been reporting a thing about cicadas. Mm-hmm. Because the cicadas are coming out, it's Brood 10, this like group or family of these billions of cicadas. They are currently crawling out of the ground after 17 years. And I think that you both know that I'm very biased on this issue, because I really do not like the cicadas, and I basically think that they are cockroaches on steroids.
3: Yes.
2: By the end of this, you'll love them, though. Isn't that right?
3: Yes. They'll be nice and cuddly, and you'll you'll actually kind of, like, sympathize with them. <laughs>
2: See, normally I would say that that's somebody over-promising on cicadas, but I, I truly do believe that Bishop believes this.
1: <laughs> where, for you, where does this story begin?
2: Um, well, I think for me, every time that like a project pops up at the post like the first obligatory step to doing something is that you have to do like your cursory search on WashingtonPost.com to see what's been written about it. And I I clicked on like the the headline, the first headline and lo and behold, (laughs) the person's byline of the headline I saw was Cameron Barr.
4: Okay, one, two, yeah. It seems to be working.
2: Cool. And I will, I'll check in. So at the time when I found this, Cameron was the interim executive editor at the Post. It is typically really hard to get a meeting with this man. I mean, he is running the paper every day. And when I emailed him, he was like, yes, I remember this. And yes, I want to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing. Why don't you hold up your ear and we can jump into it. Okay, good. What Cameron told me was that back in 2004, he had literally just started at The Post. And now he was like a general assignment reporter, covers a lot of different things.
4: And uh, the mandate was to find interesting stories. And one day, my then editor called up and proposed. I mean, when editors propose something, they're not really asking. uh, Proposed that I start to think about covering the emergence of uh,
2: Brute 10. Brute 10 is one of the largest batch of cicadas that comes every 17 years.
4: I was certainly completely unprepared for the scale of the Brood 10 emergence, and uh, I was not much of a bug person. I, I always felt like I had a an unusual degree of insect aversion.
2: He clearly, like, really threw himself into it.
4: I steeled myself for this assignment, because that's what the job demands.
2: So this French broadcaster emailed Cameron after Cameron had published the first story. And is was like, hey, Cameron, I read your piece. I would like you to come eat some cicadas with me.
1: He ate a cicada.
4: So, of course, I, I immediately accepted his offer. And uh, I think we made a plan to have lunch that day. I I changed my plans. I called up my editor and I said, something miraculous has happened. (laughs) And I didn't know quite what he had in mind, but I went to a wine shop and I bought a a white burgundy because I thought that's probably a good pairing for an insect. I met him and he told me what his plans were for when the fresh cicadas were available. But in the meantime, all he had were these Uh, Few remaining uh, bugs from the previous emergence.
2: They were from 17 years previously.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It
1: gets worse. You can eat 17 year old frozen cicadas. Get out of here. Not just frozen.
3: These are like 17 year old frozen. Like they're deep frozen.
1: Oh my God. The freezer burn on those things must be wild.
3: So.
4: Uh, he took out a skillet and some butter and parsley and garlic. Uh, he prepared a few in that sauce. Uh, we opened the burgundy we had a glass of wine. We ate some cicadas. He gave me a few to eat that were just plain, unadorned with uh, butter and parsley
2: what did they t- what do they taste like
4: like anything that's been frozen for seventeen years they tasted like freezer
1: <laughs> yeah I bet. <laughs> Does he feel like he learned anything from this time in his life covering the cicadas?
2: I mean, this time around, it seems like he has a little bit of a different attitude, like as if he's kind of warmed up to them.
4: I became sort of philosophically empathetic. I mean, after all, they they come up to mate and to really have an adventure in a way, to to come into the light for a brief period to to experience the the miracle of of insect romance to 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 find a partner. Uh, then the females lay their eggs and then they die. After 17 years underground. I mean there's something profound about that about that story, about that journey. You know, I mean that's I think we can all relate to that in one way or another, this idea of of long periods of struggle followed by brief periods of ecstasy.
2: You know, for Cameron, he's gone from covering cicadas, being new to the post. Seventeen years later, he's like the interim de facto leader of the Washington Post. It brings up this really profound idea to me, you know, year by year it's easy to miss how our lives change they move incrementally and like not huge things happen year to year but when you start measuring them in 17 year increments it's a very large yardstick to measure things by and i don't know if there's just like something that's like actually really gripping and interesting about that about how much your own life can change in 17 years
3: yeah it like it makes you start to think you know this thing is really turning the camera mm. towards ourselves
1: so, today we are looking at this creepy red eyed little bug.
3: Uh, you mean this beautiful insect?
1: This little bug that sent us in directions that I think we did not expect.
2: Like back in time. Deep into evolution. And our own mortality.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, where are we going now?
3: To the Smithsonian, okay. the National Museum of Natural History.
1: Should be right over here, right?
3: I went with producer Emma Talcoff. right? Yes. And we met with the collections manager there at the Smithsonian. His name is Floyd Shockley. Welcome, welcome. Um, so uh, all told, our cicada collection uh, is about
5: twenty thousand specimens.
3: He loves insects. He loves beetles. It's his specialty. Um He's just he's a guy who just he's just fascinated with the natural world and is kind of like he's got like all these secrets and all these stories ready to tell mm. you. Oh my God,
1: I love it. Was it. Built, uh, in the late 90s. We were it in
3: 1999. So he takes us back into this like this, uh, this storage facility which is behind these doors, these big doors. We
5: have to pass through a security door.
3: And you kind of like walk in mm-hmm. and just like the, the air's different. It starts, it's like smells of of mothballs.
5: Mm-hmm. We're now turning down main aisle.
3: Main it's aisle just hundreds of yards of these west. giant cabinets that look like lockers, but they're taller and wider than lockers.
5: Um, I have a, a spread laid out here.
3: Um, and Floyd led us to these wooden drawers that he had all laid out on tabletops, and they're filled with these cicadas, each of them pinned and ID'd with eight-point font describing what species they were and where they are found. Can we, look at, can we open that one up sure, and take we, a look at some of these guys? Sure, absolutely can. So,
5: um, one thing that I wanted to, to mention...
1: Was... Um, did he say anything about what he thinks makes cicadas cool?
3: He thought this thing was beautiful. Like, you could not design a better-looking insect.
5: Yeah, they've got these beautiful orange wings...
3: Like when they when they open up their wings, they're also they look a little bit like a butterfly. They don't look like a cockroach. That's and that's like that's where it really like switched for me when I saw them when their wings open. They they look like they're just like they they just look like a big fat butterfly that is totally defenseless and will probably be eaten.
5: They still have the red eyes. The red eyes persist from the nymph into the adult.
3: Bright Um, red, bulging eyes on the outside. They kind of they're also like on the out like very like far from each other, too. They are. He even shows us these, like, the little organs um, that make the noise. Oh, cool. Uh, they're called Timbals. Timbles? <laughs> um, they look like speaker covers, like the ridges of a speaker. They're kind of, like, metallic almost looking.
5: Uh, they're right behind the last pair of legs along the side,
3: their legs don't rub up against them. Their wings don't rub up against them. They're not like a string instrument. Hmm. Hmm. Like crickets. Yeah, yeah. They're not like a cricket. They don't make that kind of noise. Instead, it's like they've got muscles on the inside of this thing that kind of like pull and stretch and kind of like release. It's like a drum on the inside and it reverberates inside because hmm. the male's body cavity is is almost hollow. Whoa. It's just there to like... It's like a resonant chamber. Oh, yes. Yes, exactly. So that's it's more so like cool. a drum Rather than a than a string, that's really cool. Okay, so first there are these regular annual cicadas that we see all the time. They come in all shapes and sizes. They're the ones that you hear in late summer. The ones that kind of synchronize with each other. They go like wee ooh, wee oh
2: wee oo <laughs> wee Right, Not like that.
3: Sorry. Right, <laughs> <laughs> it's like the sound of summer, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So those are pretty big. These periodicals are smaller, and they come out in these massive broods, we call them. So we've got three species that come out, and they each have their own calls. Mm-hmm. Uh,
5: these are these uh, are the three species. There's
3: a big one, a medium one, and a small one, and the the big one.
5: It's cicada septum septendecim. Um, which literally translates to the magical cicada that appears every 17 years.
3: It's got this, the characteristic Pharaoh call, like a Pharaoh. Pharaoh. That's a so Can I try it,
1: it? Can I try it? Pharaoh.
3: <laughs> and then there's like this other one
5: Magic Cicada Septum Decula, which is kind of in the middle in terms of size
3: kind of has this like little scattly scat, 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 kind of like, <laughs> kind of like a, kind uh, of like a Muppet yeah. doing like bebop.
2: <laughs> that the, that's the yeah. beaker
3: sounding yes. one, right? That's what a beaker sounds like? Yeah. <laughs> and
5: then you have Magisicata Cassinii. Um, they're smaller.
3: And the other one's just a mixture of the two. It's kind of got a little bit of that and then it's got, <laughs> kind of does both.
5: So uh, all three species have a slightly different sound, and that makes perfect sense. You've got three different species coming out in the billions, and you've got males of each of those species trying to find only females of their species because they can't eat or breed. Uh, and so they have to be able to tell each other apart. Right? And so uh, the male songs of each of the three species is slightly different so that the female, as she's flying by, can detect you know, a large cluster of males of the right species.
3: And the females, they just flick their, they just kind of do a little wing flick. And the male's like, oh, she's interested. And they come, they come towards her. So you can, if you want, you can, if you really want to, you can flick your, your fingers and, th- and honestly, God, there's going to be cicadas that come and land ooh, on you. No. Martin. Yeah. If yeah, I
1: literally you're gonna get snap my fingers or like do it the right sound, they'll just be like, ooh. Yes. Don't
2: you wish you could do that for things you actually want, Martin?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I do want to try it, but I also don't want to end up with the result in which a cicada attaches to me and then I flip out.
3: Okay, so, so far we've been talking about these... This, this huge brood of cicadas, what they look like, their calls, etc. It's all great, but mm-hmm. I think it's time to talk about their most interesting abilities. Over 17 years, they measure time passing. Really? So they all, hundreds of billions of them, they independently determine that time's up, and they dig out of the ground at the same time and they find a mate.
1: And that's the part of cicadas that I find so mind-blowing and, like, in honesty, makes them feel like these sort of zombie creatures to me is that, like, they all know at the exact same time...
2: Uh, it has coordinated mass without even
1: talking to each other. It's, it's really scary. So how do they do it?
5: Now, how do they count? These guys have a molecular clock that's programmed into their DNA... And it is uh, cued by physiological changes in the trees that they feed from.
3: So every year, throughout the different seasons, a tree changes.
5: The xylem, or the the tree juices that they're feeding on, shift direction. It shifts in, in concentration.
3: In the winter months, for example, there is lower concentration of xylem. And this shift happens every year.
5: And that is the cue... To the cicada, that one year has passed.
3: The cicada's molecular clock ticks over to mark the year.
5: And then this molecular clock keeps track of years until it hits 17.
2: Yeah, but why why 17? It feels like a very random increment. It's it's a prime (laughs) number, and maybe that's
3: why they like it, right? (laughs) No. (laughs) I think the prime number, the prime number is, is, is it is a coincidence. There's lots of prime numbers um, below 17, like lower ends. There's lots of them, but there is a hypothesis. And the most, most common hypothesis is that since there is no predator that lives only by eating cicadas, this long time period stops any predator from evolving to specialize just in eating cicadas.
1: Wow.
5: There is no specialized predator of periodical cicadas because nothing lives that long. Gotcha. you.
1: So after this, we are going backwards in time, and we are going to think about our own future. So we've been talking about cicadas, the fact that they are now back in the lives of many people in the eastern United States. They are making their reemergence after 17 years. Um, And Bishop, you've been talking to a lot of scientists, but not just about the biology of the cicadas, right? You've also Mm -hmm. been talking to them about the relationship between these insects and deep time.
3: Yes. And at this point, I think we need to hear from this guy the way you speak. It's always kind of straightforward and there's like layers to it. It's really great.
2: Well, thank you. I must have been sober at the time. I like him already.
6: (laughs) (laughs) His name is Gene Kritsky. I'm Dr. Gene Kritsky. I'm the Dean of Behavioral and Natural Sciences at Mount St. Joseph University. Other titles include, (laughs) if you want. I'm also professor professor of biology. I was uh, editor of American Entomologist for 15 years. That's the record, by the way.
3: He's going to take us way back with cicadas. We start over two brood tens ago, so you can do the math there, when Gene was a student in Illinois. He had this fascinating entomology class. It was the kind of class that resonates with something deep inside of you. And Gene vividly remembers the professor and the lecture hall.
6: There were 191 people in the class, and I was sitting back, oh, about two-thirds, very much like stadium seating and uh, he starts talking about periodical cicadas and two things stood out one he really loved these insects i mean this was you could see this was a passion of his and the the uh uh he did it with, with this, this lilt and the sense of humor that came through about, you know, being in the ground for 17 years and, and all the, the cliches that we think. And he, he wove those into this lecture, which is sort of like, whoa. But I do remember thinking about what was missing was history. I felt there was something to be learned by, by looking at that time.
3: So Gene decided he needed to go back beyond just 17 years ago, beyond 34 years
6: ago. It just seemed like a logical ascension for me.
3: He needed to go back centuries.
6: I had already been reading extensively in Egyptology by this time. I had uh, just started uh, reading about entomology, but I was very comfortable with historical uh, research.
3: And so he did the historical research, looking for references to cicadas.
6: That involved going up to the University of Illinois Library in the stacks. And I would sit down on the floor in front of the stacks where all the Egypt books were, or later where I could find references of cicadas. And I pulled every book off one at a time and went through it, making notes of what
3: I was seeing. He kept going and going, finding old references. Stories started to emerge for him. And he ended up finding nearly 7,000 records of cicadas. And from all of this, he starts to realize something profound.
6: Well, they are the bugs of history. 1987, Gene found these odd little run-ins with historical figures, like Teddy Roosevelt. Now you got to remember, Theodore Roosevelt, his wife and mother died within 24 hours of each other. And eventually, to, to get over his grief, he bought an interest in a cattle ranch and moved to western North Dakota where he learned to ride horses and shout over a herd of cattle. He once said that if it hadn't been for his being in North Dakota, he would never have been president of the United States because he learned to project his voice and people here in Cincinnati who heard him when he'd come through on campaigns felt even though he was in a crowd of 10,000, he was talking to them. So in in Memorial Day of 1902, Teddy Roosevelt's going to give a Address at Arlington National Cemetery, and the cicadas nearly drowned him out. That's the power of cicada chorusing. Oh my God! Wow!
2: Wow! <laughs> 1970,
3: 1953, 1936,
6: 1919,
3: 1902, Throughout these records, Gene noticed newspapers took special care in describing brood ten emergences. There was a poetry in it.
6: This was uh, uh, originally from the Louisville Courier-Journal, uh, published in 1885. In a beautiful beach grove, two miles east of the city, there was yesterday a concert, such as is heard only once in 17 years. The air was filled with a humming something like what would be made by two or three hundred large swarms of bees, except that the pitch is a little lower, and occasional obligatos or solos are those of bass instruments. On looking into the trees, the musicians are only discernible. They are the 17-year locusts, thousands of which are seen on a single limb of the trees, while others circle clumsily in the air. Underfoot and on the trunk of every tree, on nearly every leaf of blade of grass, are the discarded overcoats of these small musicians, whose song is always the end address to their lady loves, for they are rare lovers, these clumsy fellows." They dissipate every energy and then fall to the earth like an empty pouch as balzac says and die uh, when i first read that i thought it was one of the best written things i'd read from the uh, 19th century there's a rich vocabulary there 1834 1817 1800 Gene found written records
3: of Brew 10 all the way back to the Pilgrims in 1634. Apparently, the governor of Plymouth Colony noticed all the cicadas emerging and asked the Native Americans what was happening. The governor wrote, The
6: Indians said that sickness would follow, and so it did in June, July, and August, the chief heat of summer. Well, the cicadas had nothing to do with that. But they thought they were a plague. They thought they were the locust plagues of ancient Egypt. The indigenous people knew about them well before that, obviously. Do
3: they have any records of it?
6: Well, it's all oral tradition. For the Most things you tend to find are how they would harvest the uh, nymphs and roast them for food.
3: Oh, that's amazing. I didn't know that. And like... These things, like they go back way, way, way back, like 110 million years oh ago. God. There was a fossil of these, these cicadas trapped in amber. This nymph was trapped in amber.
6: I, uh, George Pinaro and I described a cicada fossil from 110 million years ago. Uh, it was a nymph that crawled out of some tree and dropped right into amber and <laughs> got stuck.
3: And that would have been the time of dinosaurs.
6: Cicadas were here in the in the uh, Cretaceous in the early Cretaceous, so that the ancestors of T-rex were hearing these cicadas
1: you know i I do think that there's still a part of me that's like these are gross bugs and when they're smushed all over the sidewalk, I do think that they're still gross but but i I think that Bishop was successful in making me think a little bit more about the magic of them the magic of of their ability to count 17-year increments and have the fact that they've been doing that like since before people have even been around um and i feel like that makes me think a lot about myself and where i was 17 years ago but I feel like what I haven't really thought about is what I'm going to be doing the next time. Yeah, I was just thinking experience that. experience cicadas, like what my life will be like 17 years from now. Yeah, but
2: I do th- also think the sadder part of it and also like this is what makes me emotional about this is the people that will have passed away in my life, the things I will have lost and the also the things mm-hmm. I will have gained. I don't know. That's like mm-hmm. the part that like really kind of like touches something in me.
6: There's a line in the uh in my uh, book here it was written in the, in 1851 by uh, gideon b smith and he's talking about the cicada calls he said after you've become satisfied with the novelty of this music which will be in a day or two it becomes exceedingly tiresome and doleful and to many very disagreeable to me it was otherwise and when i heard that last note on the 25th of june the melancholy reflection occurred shall i live to hear it again? Unfortunately, he didn't. He died in 1867, the year before Brood 10 emerged again.
1: This story was produced and mixed by Bishop Sand, with Ted Muldoon and Emma Talcoff. It was edited by Robin Amer. Special thanks to Floyd Shockley and the Smithsonian National Museum of Natural History. Chris Simon, Mike Raup, and Gene Kritsky, who also heads up Cicada Safari. It is this very cool project where entomologists are crowdsourcing cicada data for Brew10. If you would like to contribute photos and videos of cicadas, you can download the Cicada Safari app or go to cicadasafari.org. We'll put a link to it in our show notes and at postreports.com. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. Our executive producer is Maggie Penman. Our senior producer is Rena Flores. Our editors are Alexis Diao and Ted Muldoon, who also composed our theme music. Our producers are Lena Mohammed and jordan Murray Smith. Ariel Plotnick and Renny Svarnovsky are associate producers. Sabi Robinson and Emma Talkoff are assistant producers. I'm Martine Powers. We are taking a long holiday weekend for Memorial Day, and then I will be out for a few days next week. Alexis Diao will be filling in for me starting on Tuesday with more stories from The Washington Post.
0: What if I told you that you can support your blood pressure and healthy CoQ10 levels with two chews a day?